Welcome, listeners, to the Radical Life Support podcast series on the ABCs of the Attributes of God. We create these podcasts just for you, so we hope that you are enjoying listening to these and learning about our wonderful God. As always, we'll start with our quote from A.W. Tozier, which says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Today, we are going to talk about the letter K, God is Keeper. This was a surprising attribute of God that I realized only a few years ago. In all the years that I have been reading about the attributes of God, this one never came up or stood out until I was reading a devotional and it mentioned that God was keeper. I was putting together my ABC's devotional and I needed a word for K for God. It was in the Bible all along, but I never saw it or put two and two together. It was like this beautiful aha moment where God revealed something new to me about himself. Remember that God is infinite and the depths of him are unsearchable. And when he reveals something new to you, he kind of tends to do it in such a way that you feel really loved by him, that he would show you this new thing in his perfect timing. So God is keeper. The word is being used in this instance as a noun. And because it is God, it is used with a capital K. But we will also use in the verb form for our study, such as God keeps his word. We will mainly be talking about the Hebrew word shamar, S-H-A-M-A-R, which means to keep, to guard, and to watch. When the word keeper is used as a noun in the Bible, it's mainly a word to describe an occupation, like a keeper of a vineyard, a keeper of chariots, a keeper of the prison. Now, depending on what translation you use, if someone is a keeper of a gate, they'll also call them the gatekeeper, or they might call them the watchman, because it's a shorter way to say it. But they are essentially saying the same things. They are keepers of something. It's a job to oversee and manage something. Like a keeper of the money is often described as the treasurer. And you can say either way, for example, you can say shepherd or keeper of the sheep. A king in the Old Testament was one appointed by God to be a keeper of God's people, Israel. It wasn't to just be in a position to reign over the people, but God set it up so that they should keep, guard, and watch over his people. It's much more personal. God wanted to occupy that position over his people, but they demanded a king. Unfortunately, no human king could truly keep his people as God wanted to keep his people. They rejected his care over them. Now we're going to talk about God and show how he reveals himself as keeper through the word, through creation, through Jesus, and through our hearts. How does God reveal himself as keeper through the word? Well, Job 7.20 says, O you watcher and keeper of men. Psalms 80, give ear, O keeper of Israel. Proverbs 24, the keeper of my soul is he who knoweth. Psalms 121, the Lord is the keeper. Isaiah 27.3, I, Jehovah, I am my people's keeper. Night and day I keep it. Psalms 127 says, unless God builds the house, in vain do its builders labor. Unless God keeps the city, the keeper watcheth in vain. So you see, God is the ultimate keeper of all things. Our own achievements and works to try to keep something mean nothing unless God is involved. 
In Psalms 121, 7-8, it's often used when describing God as keeper, and it says, The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over and guard your coming and going both now and forevermore. The Lord will protect you from evil. He will keep your soul. You don't have to fear when God is the keeper of your soul. This verse implies that he is nearby, ever watching all you do. He's not distant, but he's caring and very protected of you. Whatever difficulties you may go through, nothing will harm your soul. Your soul is a part of you that you cannot see, but it is super important. I have heard it described as a culmination of your heart, your mind, and your will, your very inner core being. We have a tendency to focus on the tangible things that we do see. But all of those things will eventually pass away in this world. It's the intangible that we should focus on. That includes your soul. And that is what God is guarding and watching over in these verses. God isn't saying here that there won't be any problems when he says that the Lord will keep you from all harms. For example, all of us are going to experience death of a loved one during some time in our life. It's not something God is going to keep you from. It is a part of life that happens. We all die and death has an effect on all of us. So after a death, God will keep your soul, which means he's going to be right beside you during your time of grief. He's there to comfort, protect you, and keep you through the whole entire journey. Nothing will harm your soul if you put it in God's hands. You do not need to trust anyone or anything else to keep you safe. God will keep you safe. Although you may go through pain or trials, he will enable you to endure hardships, battles, or any struggles you go through by giving you wisdom, strength, and guidance. His love will cover you and watch over you wherever you go. On a side note, to talk a little bit further about your soul, people are afraid that they will have to surrender their heart, their mind, and their will to God. And I'm suggesting what the Bible asks you to do is to intentionally yield your heart, mind, and will to God. God's word said we should renew our minds. God's word says that his peace will guard our hearts. These actions will keep you in a balanced and mentally healthy place. I propose that you need your will to follow God's will. You need your will. The Bible said he works in us to do his will, but you still need your will. You are not giving it up. You're not surrendering it away. You need your will to capture every thought. You need your will to fight the enemy. You need your will to say, I will not let my emotions run my life. You need your will to say, I will yield my soul to God, and then he will keep your soul. He will protect you from all evil. God says to love him with all your heart, with all your mind and soul and strength. Do this with your will and you will live in peace. It's like that song, stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. I think about a soldier. He doesn't give up his will, but he yields his will to his commander. And then he uses that redirected will to follow in complete obedience. I hope this helps you to understand that you're not giving up of yourself. He is asking you to choose to use your will, your mind, and your heart, and to follow him. Now, when God says that he will keep your soul, that is a promise. And one of the biggest things in God's word 
is that God is keeper. He's a promise keeper. Or you can also say he's a covenant keeper. In 2 Chronicles 6.14, it says, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. There are literally thousands of promises like this in the Bible, and God keeps every single one of them without fail. Some have argued that he doesn't keep all his promises on everything he said, but they're not looking carefully enough into the scriptures. They didn't check out that there's an if-then clause to some of these promises. Many times God will say, if you keep your ways in line with God's ways, then he will bless you. So if you do this, then he will do that. That's an if-then clause. He's also said, if you don't do something, then bad things will happen. In those type of promises, he doesn't have to keep the promise when we fail to do our part of promise. But there are other promises where, for example, he tells David that his throne will endure forever, and it will endure forever through his bloodline. Even though David sins, and many of the kings afterwards sinned and didn't follow God rightly, God still keeps his word on that promise, regardless of man's obedience, because it's not an if-then clause in that situation. And when God makes a promise, one of the reasons you can rely on it is because God says, I will keep my covenant with my people for my name's sake. Which means, if God didn't keep his word, what good would his word be ever? He's got to keep it always. Even if he doesn't keep it once, it's no good. What good would his name be if he didn't keep his promises? He's very protective of his name and his word. You can trust that he will never go against himself or who he is. And he never lies. He will never make a promise that he can't or won't keep. His faithfulness to keep his promises is of great comfort to us. When you feel weak, the Bible says, his eyes look to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. When you feel alone, you can count on God, for he says, I will never leave you. When you are afraid, God says, he will fight for you. When you cannot manage, God says, I will supply your needs. When you feel you're not smart enough, his word says, I generously give wisdom. Just ask. When you confess sins, God promised to forgive every single time. When you cannot figure life out, God promises to direct your steps. When you feel temptation at your door, he will provide a way of escape. When you're weary, he promises to give you rest. When you think you can't go on, God says you can do all things through him. When you feel no one loves you, God says, I love you more than you know. And I could go on and on and on. He never fails in keeping his promises. Now, in this next section, I normally separate how God would reveal himself as keeper through creation and through Jesus, but I'm going to kind of combine the two in this situation because I want to talk about how God reveals himself as the shepherd, or as I mentioned before, you can call it the keeper of sheep. All throughout scripture, God is described as the shepherd. In Isaiah 40, 11, it says he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. Isn't that so sweet? Jesus is also described as the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He's also the chief shepherd who, when he returns, he will give his followers the eternal crown of glory. He is the great keeper of his flock, the church. 
and he's called also the Lamb, who is on the high seat, and he will be their keeper and guide to fountains of living water. We are described as the sheep. We are his church, the flock. God set up in creation, I believe, very intentionally, this whole profession of keeping sheep and how the shepherd takes care of the sheep, and it reveals through creation how he is a keeper of people. In Bible days, shepherds were considered a very low position and not hardly regarded at all. Yet God of the universe calls himself a shepherd of his people. Usually what the world thinks is low is considered high in God's eyes. The angels proclaim the birth of Jesus to lowly shepherds, not to kings. And I think it's interesting, too, that sheep are not particularly bright creatures on the planet, but the shepherd loves them and will guard them with his life. Now, Psalms 23 talks about this shepherd-sheep relationship. It richly describes it. Here, we acknowledge that the Lord is my shepherd. And so we don't have any wants because he provides all that we need. The shepherd leads us to green, flourishing pastures and quiet resting places. He restores and refreshes our soul. You can see here again how important the health of your soul is to God. We focus so much on the outward comfort, but God knows better than us that our inward health and well-being are also critical to a life well-lived. So he guides in paths of righteousness, not evil, not mediocrity, but in paths of truth that provide safety and spiritual prosperity. And like I previously mentioned, even though you might walk through the valley of death, you don't have to fear when the shepherd is near. He has a rod of authority over the enemy and a staff of support. This brings comfort and reassurance that he is in control and you don't have to worry. For surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In order to protect the flock, the shepherd would build a corral. Corral would be a hedge of protection around them. In John chapter 10, it says that there's a gate in the corral for the sheep to go in and out of. And those who belong to the shepherd know and trust only his voice. The sheep hear it and follow him alone. They won't listen to or follow a stranger's voice, or in this case, the enemy's voice. Because the enemy only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The shepherd comes to give abundant life, and they will only follow him. The shepherd knows them, and they know him. It's a very personal relationship, and that is the type of relationship God and Jesus want to have with us. We need a shepherd in our life, although we might not like to admit it. God knows our state of well-being. Numbers 27:17 says that God says he will go out and come in before them and be their guide, so that the people of the Lord may not be like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus said, too, in Matthew 25, that when he saw all the people, he was moved with compassion for them. Why? Because they were troubled and wandering around like sheep without a shepherd. When you're living a life without God, you have no keeper, and God is moved with compassion for you. You are like a lost sheep. The good news is that the Son of Man came to seek and save that was lost. Jesus told a parable where a shepherd left the 99 out in the field in the country with really no protection so he could go and find just one lost sheep, and that's you and me. 
when he found that sheep, he joyfully called all his friends together to rejoice with him because he found this lost sheep. Jesus says, in the same way. So he told that parable, and then he said, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. The phrase, in the same way, God uses creation to show that he is the good shepherd. He's a good keeper of his people. But I do want to say a few other things about how God reveals himself as keeper through Jesus. The first one is that we need to yield to God. We need to allow him to be our keeper because that is what Jesus did. He's our example. In John 15, 1, Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my father is the vineyard keeper. Jesus always maintained the right perspective. He clearly knew his position as the vine. But he never thought that equality with God was something to be grasped. He yielded to the vine keeper to do the pruning and maintaining so that the branches would be fruitful. We would do well to have that same perspective of our lives to the keeper of our souls. We are the branches and we need to allow him to prune us and to bring us to the place where we are fruitful. And then the second thing is God wants to keep us, not during just hardship times, times of struggle. He wants to keep us all our days. Sometimes you especially feel him keeping you through certain time periods. In John 17, Jesus said in a prayer to God about his disciples, While I was with them, I protected them and I kept them. I kept them safe by that name which you gave me. Jesus kept the disciples safe for three years that they were together. He kept them by the name God gave him. Jesus will keep you too by his name. After Jesus ascended into heaven, he then sent the Holy Spirit and promised to be with them always. He promises to be with us always. He will continually be with us. He will continually keep us and he will continually oversee our lives. In the New Testament, when it talks about God keeping us, it is always through Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.8 says, God will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ's return. In Jude 24, it said, To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord. God keeps us today, always through Jesus Christ. Now, finally, how does God reveal himself as keeper in your hearts? One of my favorite verses that I have memorized and I quote out loud and have even created a little jingle, which I'm going to sing. It goes, he keeps in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast because his heart trusts in God alone. He keeps in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast because his heart trusts in God alone. And that comes from Isaiah 26, 3. I don't know about you, but I so need God to keep me in perfect peace. His peace guards my heart and mind and guards my very soul. That soul in you that we've been talking about, it's key to your well-being. This is not a peace that the world gives, but it's a perfect peace that is beyond understanding. 
Please note that there is reaction required on our part. We need, in this verse, to steadfastly engage our heart and mind to trust in God alone, in the God we have been studying about. The more you believe and know who he is, the more peace can come in and bring you freedom from worry and fear, freedom from anger and strife, freedom from depression and despair. There's one more verse that is more often used when we talk about God as keeper than any other, and that is found in Numbers 6.24. So this is my final prayer. May the Lord bless you. May God present you with gifts. May the Lord keep you. May God guard you with a hedge of protection. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May God illuminate the wholeness of his well-being toward you. May he smile on you and bring order to your life. May the Lord be gracious unto you. May God give you comfort and sustenance. May the Lord turn his face towards you or his countenance upon you. May God lift up his wholeness of being and look upon you full in the face. And may the Lord grant you peace. May God set in place all you need to be whole, complete, and prosperous. Amen. Living a radical life for Jesus means believing that God is keeper. Thank you again for listening. In addition to being on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, we are now listed on Stitcher. If you listen to our podcast through one of these podcast apps and you are able to write a review, could we ask you to do that? Could you put some comments down to help our ratings? And then hopefully that will help bring in some new listeners. Thank you for doing that. I pray for all of you. I want you all to know that you are essential to God. And if you need prayer or you need clarification on who God is for some of these podcasts, you can send me an email at rickandrobinmo at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you enjoy our podcast, please share them with at least two friends. Next time, we'll be talking about the letter L. Talk to you then.